many doubted we'd ever see it, but here it is. The return to glory. McDavid stops up. What a move. Shoots. Scores. Hey, everybody, and welcome to another edition of The Outsiders. Bryn Griffiths along with Robin Brownlee. How you doing? Oh, it's the best day of my life. Well, we're still alive and kicking. I always consider that to be a positive at, at uh, our advancing age. But let's not go down that road. We are on the right side of the sod, yes. <laughs> yes, and breathing and uh, ready to talk about sports today. Looking very much forward to it. CFL playoff action over the weekend, the West and the Eastern Finals. Well, you know what? Uh, we're all set with our Grey Cup matchup. It's going to be the Hamilton Tiger Cats out of the East. No crossover this year. No crossover ever, actually. Uh, anyway, the Hamilton Tiger Cats representing the East, taking on the Winnipeg Blue Bombers in the West. Where do you want us to want to start? Let's start with the Eastern file first, because the Western one was just absolutely insane the last few minutes. But the Hamilton Tiger Cats really had their way with the Edmonton Eskimos. And I can't say I'm overly surprised. Can you? Oh, not in the least. You know, the Eskimos were done from early in that game. They never once looked like they were threatening to win that game to me. You can't start that slowly against a team as, as as good as Hamilton no, and and play from behind. I didn't think anybody had a particularly good day uh, for the Eskimos and for them to win that game against a 15-3 ball club, they had to be firing on all cylinders. We had to see uh, Trevor Harris uh, at least somewhere near the same stratosphere as he was at against Montreal. Not didn't have to be a carbon copy, but he had to be very good. The receivers had to be very good. The defense had to be very good, and they were only okay in far too many of those boxes that you need to check. Yeah. Also, some unbelievable receiving for the Hamilton Tiger Cats, like some of those catches. Wow. Well, the Banks one was highlight reel material, no matter what season you're talking about. The coverage wasn't bad. He just, he came, when he came down with that ball and skidded into the end zone on his back, I just went, well, that's the kind of day it's going to be, because if there was ever any doubt, about it you make a play like when when playmakers make plays like that and he's one of the better ones in the league you got to have a lot of other things go right to beat that kind of talent and the, and the Eskimos didn't like I say they were only okay and okay at best in some categories and that doesn't get it done against a team that's unbeaten at home love banks they asked him how would you class or how would you categorize that catch, and he said it was one of his top three. And I'm thinking, I can't even remember two <laughs> that were better than that. But uh, he was fantastic. Everybody, Hamilton Tiger Cats going to be tough this yeah. coming weekend against the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. Okay, let's get to the Western final. The, the whole final two minutes for me summed up a typical Western final. We've seen so many of these games go down to the wire, and for the most part, a f- fairly defensive, defensive ball game. But the last two minutes, there was the, the one catch down at the uh, Winnipeg three that went off the defender, and it was you know a catch by by the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. And I'm sitting at home thinking to myself, Robin, they're going to win this. I want to talk about karma. These guys, they're going to win this game. And then two plays later, I'm watching, and uh, Cody Fajardo goes back to make the pass, and all I all I remember was hearing a clunk. And I went, did that go off the crossbar? Of course, that killed the game right there. Mm-hmm. And I thought, well, karma is a bitch and was really quick about it. Saskatchewan had the ball on two separate possessions, not on one drive, on two separate possessions, just inside the five. Yeah, They don't get a point. And Cody Fajardo, what are you trying to do swinging wide like that? Yeah. You know what? There's a reason everybody just heads into the pile. It's not pretty, but it generally will get you uh, a yard or two. And here's the other thing. For crying out loud, why are you passing on first down when you're at the four? Yeah. Now you're locked into, well, you're not locked in. I guess you could pass. But 
you know what? If you can't run the ball in from the four-yard line with three tries, you don't deserve to win the bloody game. And they didn't. And there were a few thir- third and one opportunities where they were running out of the shotgun, which I've never really been able to get my head wrapped around. It was a bit of a head scratch. Sorry, for Saskatchewan fans, a bit of a melon scratcher. <laughs> the uh, There were a lot of weird, weird calls in that game by the Riders. And... I just thought that the Winnipeg Blue Bombers were very steady. Nothing, well, yeah, they were very spectacular defensively. There's no denying that. When you've got a team down inside your five on numerous occasions and you shut them down, your defense has played exceptionally well. So, hey, good on them. It's been a long time since the Winnipeg Blue Bombers have won a great cup. 1990. Well, the Bombers are a great story, and they're a great underdog story, and the – you know, the drama they've had at quarterback with Big Streveler having to come in, very effective at times, then he gets banged up, then Kolaris back, and now because of his problems, uh, he's got the George Jetson-type hel- helmet on now. Did you notice that? How I it, noticed that, yeah. Yes. Uh, George, and he, George and, Jetson. And, it, you know, he needs that. Uh, they're a great story. I don't know that they're a great enough story to win a football game against the Hamilton Tiger Cats in the Grey Cup game. But they're there, and uh, that's more than I thought they would be. There's a danger in the fact that we do this podcast once a week. Last week, we talked about Don Cherry and everything that kind of... Uh, we're going to get into that in a couple of seconds anyway. But but shortly after we released the podcast, the bulletin comes down that Don Cherry's been fired. So I'm going down this road very carefully, and that is Jason Moss's situation with the Edmonton Eskimos. I I have said numerous occasions, you have as well, that we thought the only way he had the potential to even save his job would be to get to the Grey Cup game and maybe even win it. Well, he didn't get there. And I'm guessing something will probably happen, but not in the immediate future, especially with the Grey Cup game coming up. But how do you see it? Have you changed your mind on anything at all? Not really. I mean... Brock Sunderland is the GM is not going to rush into anything. What I look at more than anything else, because it's easy to say, yeah, blow them out. Uh, when fans are frustrated, and there should be frustration here, this is a better team than on paper uh, than eight and ten. Uh, I thought last year's team was better than nine and nine. When you've got uh, an outstanding player uh, like Mike Riley, they missed the playoffs altogether. They go as the crossover this year. I look at the overall tenure uh, under Jason Moss, and to be honest, Brent, I didn't add up the wins and losses uh, to this point. You've got to ask if that's good enough. You've got to get a read on from the players as honest as they can, and that can be tough because there's always that worry. Well, if he is back and word gets to the coach that, I basically said I had no use for him, so maybe I'll just play it down the middle and not say what I think. But, you know, it's a tough one. And the third, the third aspect of this, Bryn, who's better? And a cynic who's jaded and pissed off right now might say, well, I can think of a lot of people. Well, if you can, make your list of guys that are available. They might not be available now, but who, who comes available and how long do you wait? Um... You know, we can. The obvious guy from where we sit, Bryn, is is uh, Rick Campbell. Of course, because he's available. He's got his choice. Does he want to come back, uh, and and coach in a city? See, on his way up, of course, he already did coach here, and you could say in the in the in the uh, shadow of his father. Does he want to come back as the head man? And I'm not saying he doesn't. I don't know what he thinks about that, but he's going to have his his uh, pick. And if that's the only guy you're counting on, and if you have some contact with him and he says, you know what, I'm interested, okay, maybe that makes it easy. But we don't know that. But before you get all frustrated with the way the Eskimos have performed and uh, talking about let's gun Jason Moss, sack him, get him out of here, give me your short list of guys who are better and who you know are available. And that list isn't very long right now. Okay, you mentioned Rick Campbell. I would have to think that he's already spoken to the BC Lions. 
Devon Claybrooks, it's it's funny. Actually, we were going to have him booked for this show today mm-hmm. and uh, just basically stated that it'll probably be a week or two just so he can kind of get his head after being relieved of his duties. Mm-hmm. It's going to take a little bit of time. And he he's a great guy, so we hope to get him on the show at some point. But So there's that opportunity for Rick to go to Vancouver where he already knows Rick Lollisher. He already knows Ed Hervey. So, and, uh, you know, I can't see Mike Riley being too upset with Rick Campbell. He's going to be a little, it's going to be competitive to get Rick Campbell. Paul LaPolice, who is going to be rather busy this week with Grey Cup activities and the Winnipeg Blue Bombers is another name I keep hearing an awful lot about. So, I don't know, I guess we'll see. We'll see how things shake down here. Garbage bag day already for the Eskimos. And I just don't think that they're going to do anything sudden. Like I said, the scary part is I know that by bringing it up today, it's going to, something big is going to happen. It's just that's how it seems to be going for us lately. What makes Paul LaPolice, uh, even if he is available, slam dunk better than Jason Moss? Well, I'm going to tell you right now, on second and eight, he won't be throwing five-yard out passes. Okay, (laughs) because if I see, uh, they did that so much this season, you know, or it'd be second and 10, and they would throw a three-yard out hoping the guy could make a, make it up in yards after the catch. It was so annoying to me. You you laughed, so you obviously noticed it as well. I'm thinking, how about you run a 12-yard pattern if it's second and 10? Or how, how about you run a 10-yard pattern if you know it's second and eight? I, 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 I just don't understand it. I hear you, and the head man as, as the O.C., uh, where's that can? Oh uh, yeah, but and here I laugh because I keep thinking. Now correct me if I'm wrong. Hey, if you want to throw the ball twenty yards, throw the ball twenty yards downfield. Don't swing it out twenty, <laughs> so you can maybe gain four if the guy doesn't get knocked down behind the line of scrimmage. How many times did we see that? Oh, I know. There, there were a lot of problems for me offensively, and yet there were some games where they were pretty good. But for the most part, those were the plays that drove me nuts watching the football team. Okay, let's uh, let's move on. Don Cherry and Ron McLean. This whole episode, we last week we actually, I'll tell you what. Here, here's what Don said. Now you go to the small cities, and you know you you know those the rows on rows. You people love you, you that come here. Whatever it is, you love our way of life. You love our milk and honey. At least you can pay a couple of bucks for poppies or something like that. These guys pay for your way of life that you enjoy in Canada. These guys pay the uh, the biggest price. All of the comments that Don Cherry's made over his career. Those were the comments that cost him his broadcast career with Sportsnet. We always heard the term you people. When you get a chance to listen to it again, it's you people that come here. Mm-hmm. So, okay, well, what happened to Don happened to Don. Nothing's going to change that. Ron McLean on Saturday night on Hockey Night in Canada in what would be the Coach's Corner segment, basically uh, – he, he kind of vented a little bit and had a five-minute soliloquy. It was very Shakespearean in nature that left me kind of... <laughs> Translated means... Yeah, yeah. I just... I, I, you know, I, I'm at the point now where I just want to see everybody move on. It just... It, it doesn't make any sense just going on and on and on about it. Well, and we will after this podcast. <laughs> yeah. What I didn't like and, uh, you know... My years on the beat, I got to know Don uh, a little bit. I wouldn't consider him a friend. Uh, same with Ron McLean. You see them around the rink, you're on the road, wherever. People talked about it being uh, heartfelt. Um, what Ron had to say on his own in that five-minute segment. I don't know if it was. I'm not going to say that Ron McLean got up there and just gave us a performance because that's not fair to him. Yeah. It made me squirm because I think if you things some things are better left said person to person whether it's if you're in the same place over a coffee, over a beer or at least over a phone call. Uh Don, um this has turned out shitty. I feel bad whoever did what. The bottom line is Coach's corner is in the toilet now. Uh, a long association is over. I feel bad about it because I care about you, man. I love you. I want you to know that. Tell that to the person face-to-face. 
it just kind of makes me squirm to see it on the air. It, it's, I don't want to call it, uh, uh, well, it just, it, it, it just made me uncomfortable. Yeah, so, say it to, say it to Don. People out there, you know, there's a great big debate. I don't know how the camps are divided, 70, 30, 60, 40. A lot of people believe in Don, and we want to see things in black and white. I think he gets run. That was legit for what he said. You want to say that's too PC, fine, go ahead. But he's been given plenty of warning. He's done this. You know, the thing is, though, he's done this for years in yeah. different forums, but it's a different time now. And you can rail against it and yell about it, but it is a different time. What is said today uh, that's not okay might have been acceptable or at least ha 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 as a joke even if people were laughing nervously five seven ten years ago don cherry has made a career uh out of saying those sorts of things it doesn't fly now so the decision's been made i'm okay with it it doesn't mean don cherry goes from being a great patriot and a guy with a big heart and he is a guy with a big heart uh, if you know oh yeah you know, when the cameras are gone, I mean, Don Cherry cares about this country, he cares about the military, all the things you see on social media. The stupidity of what he said does not take away from that legacy. But let's be honest, the legacy has always been one of controversy, one of walking to the line and not quite falling over in the eyes of most listeners. This one, he fell over that line He's, he's been relieved of his duties. He's 85. He doesn't need the job. He's uh, got, yeah, he's worth millions. He's got lots of dough, as he would say. Um, you'd like to see him go out on his own terms, but the fact is... It was of, never going to happen. And a lot of people could make a reasonable argument, and I would count myself among them, that he could have gone out on his term, own terms 10 years ago, and that would have been just about right. I mean, really, in your mid-80s, go enjoy the rest of your life. Yeah, he'll. You know where I see Don in another week or two? He'll be walking down that beach with the metal detector. Just I, don't, I don't. I'm think just kidding. So. He'd hit you in the head with that metal detector for even saying it. Yeah, I'm doing some metal detecting and everything here. Anyway, uh, they, all right. Well, let's uh, let's move on. Coming up on our podcast today, in a couple moments, we're going to be chatting with Mark Spector from Sportsnet.ca. You and I have known Spec for a very long time, and uh, Mark can also be somewhat uh, irritating to some people, and that's because he's always kind of spoke how he feels on things a little bit. It's irritating. It hasn't been Don Cherry annoying. It's been uh, Spec irritating. And uh, I, I've I, hey, listen, I don't have anything against people who want to give your opinion on stuff. And he he for the most part. Started as a reporter, they moved into the columnist category, and that changes everything for me. When you're a columnist, I want your opinion. If you're a reporter, now I'm going down your road here. If you're a reporter and you're a beat reporter, I want you to basically give me the story. Yep. But if you're a columnist, I really need you to make me uh, think a little bit or maybe be happy or sad or angry. I, I don't know. Is that fair to say? Yeah, absolutely. Look, the gig that Speck's got now, he's a columnist. You want to know what he thinks, and uh, you want him to back it up. If you try and kiss ass on either side of the thing, let's say we're talking player, team, negotiations, bad feelings, yeah. how they handle Jesse Pugliarvi, how much they should sign Darnell Nurse for. If you're going to get upset at a columnist like Speck for giving his take, you, you're, you're doing it wrong. That's what he's supposed to do. You can disagree, but the idea that a columnist shouldn't say what he thinks, and Speck does not walk the line in terms of some guys out there, I'm not naming them, they write stuff, I think, just to get, hey, better that you hate me than that you're indifferent about it. I mean, it's a like constant troll job from a couple guys in this country, and I guess they've got the gig and they're locked in, and maybe the... Numbers are great. People hating on them. Hey, that's a, that's clicks. Yeah. All we want is clicks. That's good. Some guys seem to play into that. Spec doesn't. If he says what he thinks and you don't like it, well, that's fine. But he says what he thinks, and that's the gig. Oh, I'd like to ask him towards the end of the interview today, too, because we go back to the U of A, and I can't remember who, when we were just getting started in our careers, who it was. It might have been Cam Cole. 
when he was writing for the Edmonton Journal. And Cam was the guy who I think said to both of us, hey, we're the Cub reporters, we're just kind of down there. We're just kind of watching how the real guys were doing the job. And I seem to recall Cam saying, if you're going to cut, use a sharp knife. <laughs> Cam would use a sharp knife on you if he heard that imitation. Well, that was me. Okay, okay. <laughs> Gee, Willikers, Mr. Cole. Uh, and, and I learned a lot of things from Cam Cole. I'm going to tell you right now, just watching. And, and Jim Matheson's another. Terry Jones is another. I'll even say Brian Hall on the radio side because you learn a lot from the guys who've been there before you. And uh, it was. And we're going to get Jonesy coming up on one of our podcasts early here in December as well. So looking forward to talking to him as well. Anyway, we'll get to spec coming up in a little bit. And also we're going to chat with Dwayne Vigneault, who is with the Canadian Football League. Dwayne's job is got to be one of the greatest jobs ever. He does nothing but help plan Grey Cup parties. And we'll, we'll get to Dwayne coming up in a bit. And this one will be the big party in Calgary without the Stampeders. A few extra challenges. And in no that. Eskimos and no Green Riders. So uh, the, the people who are going to have to carry the mail on this one will be the uh, Winnipeg Blue Bomber fans and those from Hamilton you know fans in Calgary and Edmonton are still going to show up because it's a great party. Sure so they will. It'll be a lot of fun. All right, so get ready for it. Mark Spector, up next. Pro-Am Sports is Edmonton's home for sports and entertainment memorabilia. Featuring unique collectibles and apparel, we've got you and your fan cave covered. Pro-Am Sports, located in Edmonton at 12728 St. Albert Trail and proamsports.ca. Joining us from SeaTac Airport en route to San Jose, California, where the Oilers will be playing their next matchup on Tuesday night, is Mark Spector from Sportsnet.ca. Spec, how you doing? Oh, pretty good, boys. What's going on? Well, we, uh, we've been wanting to get you on for a few weeks here, but finally we've been able to track you down, and you're traveling, of course. What a big surprise. Uh, how's, you, how's your fall gone so far? Well, it's kind of funny, actually. Uh, Sportsnet's got me traveling more than I've traveled for a long time. So uh, I have only missed a couple Oilers games all year. And uh, the good news is they've been a pretty good team to watch. So, you know, there's been some years in the recent past when it's kind of nice when they leave town and you'd stay home without them. But yeah. <laughs> uh, i got to admit, it's been fun covering this team this year. Well, I tell you, Speck, and you know this as well as anybody, when the Oilers are playing like they have and sitting where they are in the standings, I think there's a, a sizable portion of the fan base that's wondering uh, when the football gets pulled away. Um, I, I'm not sure that happens with this team, which surprises me. Um, this looks like a legitimate contender to me right now. How about you? Well, you know what? If, if they didn't have their history that we're all so painfully aware of, I would just jump right in and say, oh, yeah, for sure. Like, they really do. There's, if you throw away everything that's happened before, you know, September of this season or October of 2019, and you just look at this team on its own first 20 games, uh, they do have most of the bases covered here. You know, they got goaltending. It's been excellent. They clearly have a, a top-end scoring uh, and they do, you know, I know there's always a hole in every team, guys. No team's perfect, but they they do have the personnel to take care of the dirty work, which they haven't had here much. They can kill a penalty, and they can hang in a 2-1 game and not make that fatal mistake because they're trying so hard to score the next goal. So, you know, if you bang off all those things together, uh, all of a sudden you got a hockey team that looks like it might be able to sustain this for a while. Spec, talk to a, a couple of former NHL netminders, and they say the difference in Miko Koskinen from one year to the next is remarkable, but not surprising. They think he was playing his angles way better. It's like he's gotten more comfortable with playing on a North American ice surface. What's your take? Well, geez, I am, I'm not going to tell you it's not surprising. You know, I'm not going to sit here and say, oh, no, I thought he put his game together. I can't tell you that. Like, this guy is, Miko Koskinen is, I believe, what, is he 29 or 30? He's 30. He's, he's, he's 30, and he struggled mightily with his glove hand specifically last season. Yeah. And all I know is when, he, when they were going in last year, I talked to several goaltending coaches and goaltenders and people who know goaltending a lot better than the three of us. And asked them, can a 30-year-old 
in the NHL fix his glove hand, and every one of them said no chance. Mm-hmm. So he appears to have done, you know, all the things necessary. And I give Tippett and Mike Smith credit. The rotation's good and the workload's good. But uh, if you're asking me, am I surprised that that Nico Koskinen sitting here with a whatever he is today, a 927 or something, save percentage, uh, you're damn right I'm surprised. I guess the other thing, too, is that the defense in their own zone has been much better team-wise, that if you're not giving guys enough time to really look to pick those corners high to the glove side, that would also make the goaltending look a lot better. Oh, listen, there's no doubt it's a team effort. Uh, Not to take away the goal has been great, but I watched, you know, we watched guys scoring back, back, door goals on on the Oilers goalies the last couple of years that nobody stops right right no question the quality of chance is down from what it's been and that's going to help your goalies now your goalie makes some saves now he's got some confidence now he's not letting in that bleeder because he's shell-shocked so sure better team defense makes a better goaltending no question bigger picture spec and and this is asked knowing full well the players still have to play the game but since the tough days where we took flyers on guys like dallas akins uh and ralph came in uh ralph Kruger came in um you know you've had in here uh todd mcclellan who i think can coach the wheels off any team uh ken hitchcock had to come in behind him guys 800 plus wins in the league now dave tippett you're there all the time. These are three really good coaches. McClellan pushed them across the line once during his time here. What mm-hmm. is what is Tippett doing or not doing, and what is the atmosphere and the connection between the players and him that maybe was lacking in past years? I don't know. Well, it's a good question, Robin, and I'm always really wary of saying, oh, if Dave Tippett's walked in here and changed this thing, because you're right. Tom McClellan's an excellent coach, but I think there's a cumulative thing here. I think that, you know, some, uh, another coach said to me recently, you know, uh, once you've lost for a while, you become a very receptive uh, student. (laughs) And I think that, you know, Todd McClellan got their goals against way down uh, when they went to the playoffs that year and Mm -hmm. went to the second round. And then this team got real loose, real fast again. And, you know, I, I guess what I'm trying to say is I think the year after year in recent times of having excellent coaches in here, Tippett's a really good coach. He's put structure in. I think this group is just willing to do the work that it takes to, to make that structure happen. You know, I think that it's easy when you got a bunch of guys like McDavid and Drysaddle, everyone wants to play just like they play. And we watched the goals against go through the roof again the last couple of years. So. Mm-hmm. I just think the combination of hearing probably a lot of the same things from respected smart coaches and the losing over the last few years that focused these guys, I think those things are working in Tippett's favor. We could talk all day long about Connor McDavid, who, by the way, has just been named the first star of the week by the National Hockey League, which is no real big surprise. But let's talk about the other guy who's now finally starting to get that recognition around the league, and that's Leon Dreisaitl. What a horse he's been this season. Yeah, and he's in everyone. He's in McDavid's shadow big time, you know. Yeah. Um, I think McDavid got the October one of the three stars of the month when Drysaddle to me was the better player. Um, Drysaddle has more points, and McDavid keeps winning the awards here. So, uh, you know, I don't think those guys care that much, frankly. But I think what we're seeing here, like here in Edmonton, I'm watching this guy, and it's, you know, it's unbelievable. He is a incredibly good hockey player. We all know how good McDavid is. This duo here is, I don't think people around the league realize the gravity of how good they are. Like they're they're right now. They're two of the top three or four players in the league together on the same team. Like this is, this is something that nobody thought was going to happen. And I think it's something that now only probably a few people around Edmonton, it's dawning on them, but, I'm I'm buying in here. Uh, obviously, McDavid. McDavid to me has become the best player in the game now. I always used to always hedge quite a bit. Yeah. With Crosby, McDavid's the best player in the game, and uh, all of a sudden, dry settles. You know, we used to wonder if he was top ten. Now we're we're pretty darn sure he's top five. 
Oh, yeah. Hey, Speck, let's look down the highway a little bit quickly here. Uh, you wrote a damn good book about the Battle of Alberta, and when this season started, I was thinking, as many fans have, wouldn't it be nice if both these teams were good at the same time and kicking the snot out of each other at the same time with something on the line? Because the only real battle of Alberta happens in the playoffs. And if you would ask me who's not going to hold up their end again, I would have said the Oilers. Now it looks like the Flames are floundering a bit. What do you see when you look at that club? Yeah, there's some nervous times here, right? For sure in, in Calgary. And I, everything you just said, Rob, and I, I was right in lockstep with you, man. Yeah, I didn't pick the Oilers to make the playoffs this year. Calgary was the first place team in the West. I thought, okay, you know, they had a stumble against Colorado, but they'll put it together. And, you know, there, there has to be a real serious, as you and I, the three of us talk about Dreisaitl and McDavid here. Uh, you know, I think the orders, all they got to do is figure out how to build a team around two of the best players in hockey. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, these guys are going only one place. So that's North. Uh, I think down at Calgary, they're starting to really question here. You know, what's Sean Mahan and what's Johnny Goodrow, you know, how the, their two offensive leaders uh, were no shows in the playoffs last year. And so far this season, are not taking this team anywhere. Uh, they're not raising their game when the team needs them the most. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's a question mark there, man. Two big question marks in Calgary right now. I'm not sure what you do. What do you guys do? Well, you know, it's interesting because watching the game on Sunday when they were in Las Vegas, I can't tell, but I know he gave up six, but I thought he, he played pretty solidly for them. I thought Milan Lucic played his best game as a Calgary Flame in that matchup. The the problem was is that the two guys you just pointed out were both minus five on the night, and that's just got to stop. Yeah, and they both played about three minutes in the third period. Exactly. Too. So, and, and and somehow were on the ice for like three goals against each. So, um, it's a big, it's a, you know what, like it's a, such a hockey cliche, your best players have to be your best players, but it's true for one. It's absolutely the truth. And not only that, but there's a thing in the you know, dressing rooms work that way. Either your leaders lead you, uh, or if they're not leading you, the room kind of splinters a little bit. And yeah. it, it, you know, the guys sort of look at their leadership group and say, well, God, you guys are playing this way. Then why am I, you know, I can bust my butt. It's not, we're not going to win with, with uh, Derek Ryan playing his best game if the top two guys aren't playing their best game. And it really is it's insidious. It doesn't work for the team concept. Those big guys have to be big guys, especially now because the Flames are, man, they're teetering. They're a 500 team. Uh, they're not playing very well. They need someone to step to the plate here and start to, to pull this thing in the right direction. And it better be one of those, you know, one of the big guys has to get after it here. Mark Spector from Sportsnet.ca joining us from SeaTac Airport in Seattle today. The other thing, too, that's been quite noticeable for me, and I've watched both the Flames and the Oilers a lot this season. Last year, the Oilers struggled with special teams, not the not the situation this time around. Calgary was much better, I thought, last year on special teams, and this year they struggled mightily, and maybe that's a big factor. Well, it's a, yeah, for sure. I mean, the, the special teams will win you games or lose you games. Like, we watched at Edmonton. Over the last five years, this PK has been the last place PK in the league over that time. And it just murders you night in, night out, letting goals in. And conversely, you know, if you, you sort of the, the key to that three, it's a three, two league. And if one of them comes in the power play every night, you're a third of the way there. And you generally, you can figure out a way to score the other two. So, you know, that's the turnaround in Edmonton. There's no question. They're winning both sides of that battle, but, I'll tell you what, like it's, it's, you have to, how do I say it can't just be, it can't just be special teams. There's gotta be, you know, you gotta go and dominate somebody five on five once in a while, just to show that you can. And and to me, that's what's going on at Calgary is they're not dominating anybody five on five. Speck. uh, I want to make one more stop here. This five gamer, San Jose, Los Angeles, Vegas, Arizona and Colorado, uh, a guy we uh, mentioned, Todd McClellan, 
tough go in L.A. right now. No surprise to me. He can't play the game, and that that ro- that roster is not good enough. So, uh, are you going to have a chance to talk to Todd while you're down there? Yeah, my plan is to get to practice there on uh, I think Wednesday. Uh, you know, it is. This is actually a this is a little bit of a revealing trip, I think, for yep. Edmonton. They they never win in San Jose. I think they're they're like they've lost seven of eight there or something. Mm-hmm. And they just lost in there last week. So horribly what that tells. Yeah. Horribly. And I mean, everybody knows it in that room. This is a little bit of a problem for Edmonton. San Jose is an okay team. There's nothing wrong with them, but they're not that good. They shouldn't beat you that often. So to me, you know, for a game in November, no one's saying must win here or anything, but this is a game that the orders are looking at uh, after blowing that lead now against Dallas. And they're going, Hey, Let's let's set this straight here. So I'm looking forward to that game Tuesday. And the other one is, you know, then you play L.A., a team you better beat because everyone else is beating L.A. You should beat them too. And then the other one is that Arizona team, right? That that Coyotes team, they've given this organization trouble in Eminent for a long, long time. And they play, a frankly, a very dull, defensive, uh, you know, almost like the 2020 version of the trap. Mm-hmm. And Edmonton's failed against that. They have not played uh, a Coyotes team that doesn't beat a lot of teams beats Edmonton for fun. And that's another thing that you got to put an end to that. If you're going to be a good team, you know, you got to figure out a way to beat that. And that makes this road trip for me kind of interesting. This uh, Christmas season, I'm heading over to uh, the Czech Republic for the World Junior Hockey Championship. I'm, I've been to a bunch here in Canada, but to see it up close in Europe, I'm pumped about. You've just written a book about the World Junior Hockey Championship, and I, I was a little surprised. I, you've always written great books on hockey, but I've never seen you kind of go down this road with the World Juniors. What made you decide to do this? Yeah, it was kind of funny. I, I, I won't even brag and say that it's my idea. I, I basically got a call from a publisher and said, you know, we just think of this idea of, of doing something on the sort of the history of the World Junior. We're calling it Road to Gold. And it's a story about how, you know, in the 70s, we used to send the, the Memorial Cup champs over to Leningrad and they'd get beat up by the Russians, yeah. right? They couldn't, they couldn't beat anybody. They'd lost their good players from last year. They didn't know how to play your hockey in Europe. They didn't understand the European referees. We had no system. We had no continuity. And we were getting killed in this thing. And, and you know, Canada came up with a program of excellence and, you know, really put a focus on getting good at this. And today, all of a sudden, not suddenly, but over the many years today, the world junior is to Canadians at Christmas what football is to Americans at Thanksgiving, right? It's a yeah. family affair and it's a deep, deep, deep tradition. And, you know, we've gone from winning everything all the time, five, six years in a row, to being back in the fight in the world junior, right? It's not a given that Canada wins that thing anymore. No, absolutely. Hey, Speck, uh, two quick ones for me. Where can people get the book if they want it? Because we're into that Christmas season now. And uh, second question, will you be trying to move any copies at uh, Henry's High Life in San Jose? (laughs) (laughs) I love Henry's High Life. That's a barbecue joint, one of the best in the league, man. Uh, Hey, books books everywhere. Uh, all chapters and I think Walmart and certainly on Amazon and anywhere you buy a book, you should be able to buy this book. Uh, but yes, thanks Robin. That's a good call. I got an off night tonight, channel day. And, uh, you know, what? I haven't had the meat sweats for a while. So maybe that's a good place to go. Hey, before we let you go, uh, just a quick thought on, and I'm sure you tuned in a little bit on the Sunday, both the CFL West and the Eastern finals. The, mm-hmm. the the Eastern final was a bit of a blowout. Hamilton looked great. The Western final was insane, and that last minute and a half was just—it's exactly what you expect out of a Western final. Yeah, it was defensive football, right? It was you know defense won the day in Regina yesterday. There's no question. Uh, I don't mind that in the playoff game. I mean, you know what? It's hard nosed football. Uh, that play, uh, the deflected ball at the very end to Saskatchewan, you know, down <laughs> to the two-yard line, was unbelievable. And the fact that it ends with a pass ricocheting off the crossbar, uh, I was just, you know, really, really compelling football. Hey, the Eskimos—they're playing the best team in the league. 
the the Eskimos weren't the best team in even close in the West. I thought they hung in there and they hung in there and you know they they were kind of like Cam Talbot against Vegas last night. The, the Eskimos gave themselves a chance to win that thing, but they're not the quality of football team that Hamilton is. That that Hamilton team pulled away from them, and rightfully so, don't you think? Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. I, I, in fact, we are we're going to make our predictions coming up a little bit here, and, and I think we're kind of leaning to Hamilton winning it all. But that's not to take anything away from Winnipeg. Winnipeg's defense has been pretty solid, huh? How do you? Yeah, though for sure. And what I find amazing is that I didn't realize they hadn't won a Great Cup of Winnipeg since 1990. <laughs> uh, you know, that might be the best. In my humble esteem, that might be the best CFL town in the country. I mean, everyone says Rider Nation in Regina. And I get it, right? They love their riders, and that's awesome. But I'll tell you what, you go to Winnipeg, man, the CFL matters there. and They get yeah. three, four pages in the papers every day, and, and the fans come out, and it's a big deal. And the, the fact that that Winnipeg fan base hasn't had a great cup win since 1990. We're coming on 30 years here, boys. I, I think I'm going to be cheering for them on Sunday. Yeah, Speck, that's my question. Are they going to get that win uh, against the Ticats? What, what's your call on this one? Uh, you know, there's two things about the CFL, and, and I don't watch it closely enough to be a real expert. And it's when the big game comes, it's the most damned unpredictable thing you ever saw in your life, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> like, you'd have just picked Calgary to win the Great Cup every year, except the, there's only one problem. They very seldom won it. Yeah, <laughs> you know they're the know. best team in the league for a decade, and I don't know what they got out of it. Two Doug, Grey Cups, maybe. D- Doug so, Flutie only yeah. won one Grey Cup there, right? Like, so it's a. I'll tell you what, Vegas. I know they do put out a line on the Grey Cup, but uh, I wouldn't want to have to cover it. Uh, I'll tell you what. I'll pick. Uh, I'll pick the underdog, Winnipeg. There uh, you go. I just think they got something going on here, and Hamilton's been the best team in the league. I'll give you that. But I think it's time for the Bombers to win one for those uh, good old Don Jonas fans out there. Don Jonas. <laughs> Mac Heron. Oh, my God. Yeah, Mac Heron. There you go. <laughs> hey, and, and finally, before we let you go, we had Gene Principe on a couple of weeks ago. And he, he and I were talking about how we kind of got started at the University of Alberta at CJSR Radio. And I was laughing after, after we had taped because – I uh, I really strongly remember having you with me in the studio on the campus, and we did a show called the Press Box, and we yes, sure we did. We, <laughs> it was a lot of fun. Uh, Gino was kicking around. There's a whole, whole pile of us, but man, oh man, it, when you get a chance to kind of cut your teeth in an environment like that, it was pretty special times. Oh man, and you know what? You two guys are two of the guys I go the deepest back in the business with. I mean, Bryn. You gave me my very first gig ever. I walked into a CJSR volunteer meeting as an 18-year-old kid, and like within a few weeks, I was sitting behind a microphone. Way to freaking go, Bryn. Way to go, eh? Doing sportscast. (laughs) And and then eventually, uh, a few few years later, I'm working at the Evident Journal, and who walks in the door with this long, skinny ponytail coming out of Kamloops, B.C.? (laughs) But Robin Brownlee. Yeah. I mean, I knew him when he was single and used to have some fun. So that's how long ago that was. Wow. <laughs> there we go. Yeah, that is that is a long time ago, isn't it, man? I, oh, boy. I forgot about the ponytail. That was uh, that was quite something. Hey, listen, we want you to go grab a, a bite of breakfast with uh, a Hockey Hall of Fame writer, Jim Matheson. So thanks for your time this morning. All right, boys. Pleasure being on the podcast with you. Good luck with the adventure, okay? Yeah, have and fun, tell, tell Maddie we're going to catch up to him soon here, too. I'll, t- I'll warn them. Okay. <laughs> Thanks, Mac. Okay, boys. See you later. See ya. Pro-Am Sports is Edmonton's home for sports and entertainment memorabilia. Featuring unique collectibles and apparel, we've got you and your fan cave covered. Pro-Am Sports, located in Edmonton at 12728 St. Albert Trail and proamsports.ca. Wayne, welcome to the podcast. You are one busy guy right now, huh? Yeah, you know we're uh, we're we're coming up to Grey Cup weeks coming up here right away. So I know it's a, it's a busy time, but it's it's my favorite time of the year. It's like Christmas. <laughs> well, <laughs> Dwayne, it's like Christmas, and there's a lot of great things going on. But part of Christmas, 
means you're you will hold the Grey Cup without the Calgary Stampeders in it. How, if at all, does that affect your job and the committee's job? Well, you know, it's um, being the host of a Grey Cup, which I've obviously been on the host side a few times. You always want to play in your own game and be in your own game. But, um, uh, you know, that's always the goal, sort of starting off the season. But I can also tell you that, you know, you know, it, it, even though it's disappointing, Grey Cup is such a busy job and it's such a lot of work for the host that that at the end of the day, they you just want to have a great uh, representatives from both West and East and you want to go into this having a great game and having one of those classic Grey Cup games. So, it, you know, you want to be there, but you want to, you know, you can't be in every one and, and it's very hard to repeat. As you know, on the CFL, it's very hard to go back to back and it's also hard to play in your own great cup. So, uh, you know, they're going to be uh, putting on a great show. And now their focus leans towards making sure that, the, you know, Calgary and all their host committee really welcomes Canada. And we have guests from around the world coming as well to uh, to this great cup. Dwayne, we'll talk about your position with the league coming up here in a couple of moments. But I, I want to also just say with what we've been talking about, having Calgary out, it's very tough on a host city when the team has the rug pulled out from underneath them at the Western or the Eastern final level. Calgary's out in the semifinal, so it kind of gives the city about a week to have its little hangover here before they start the party again. Yeah, you know, and and uh, like I said, it's it's disappointing, but you're right. It's it the semi. You know, if we're getting into the finals and and um, all of a sudden you break ups in a week and and you lose there, it's a lot harder than losing earlier, as you as you allude to. So, um, you know, Calgary's now all all focusing on hosting the nation and 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 putting on the best break up they can possibly do. So um, they're going to do a great job. Tell everybody what your new gig is and how you got this because this I when I heard that you had landed this position with the Canadian Football League I went couldn't find a better guy and I know that you're just absolutely loving it. Yeah, no, I am really loving it uh, and thanks Bridge for bringing it up. So, um, a couple of years ago, so in Edmonton in 2018's Grey Cup, there was a new model that mm-hmm. the that the league embarked, which is. Um, it used to be the old days, you know, the, the host team would pay a rent fee to host the game and um, sort of all the prof- uh, profits and proceeds, if you will, would stay in the local host. Well, there's a new revenue share model now. And um, and so it's really becoming a, a league wide game for for all intents and purposes. So through all that process, more than just just um, a revenue share. It became, how do we do things better? How do we make sure that the league and the hosts are aligned? How are we making sure that we're just building the brand and ultimately growing the, growing the product? And so because of the success of Edmonton and, um, you know, Randy Ambrosi decided he wanted to try and take this to the next level. And he, he said, Dwayne, I have a great opportunity for you. It's a, it would be basically overseeing Grey Cup proper and and making sure that the league and the hosts are, are, are collectively working together to make sure we're, we're taking this thing to the next level. So I'm having a blast. I think I mentioned to you before, Bryn, Robin, um, uh, you know, I'm, I'm living in airports, but it, it's, it's fun. Well, Dwayne, the really cool thing about this, under this new formula, I was just reading a piece by Terry Jones about it, you know, how things are distributed. Uh, you basic and Edmonton was a real big success. Your job now, it seems to me, in the simplest terms, is to one up yourself year after year. <laughs> yeah, it's a hard it's a hard job to always one up yourself. But you're 100 percent correct, Robin. It it really is. You know, uh, you know. Sometimes in the in the past, if you will, and Grey Cup, as you know, has been around for a long, long, long time. You might have a great one one year and an average one the next, and and it's because of nobody's fault. It was just you know the way it went. So we're really trying to make sure we share information with all the hosts, with all the teams. We're trying to make sure that we create a best practices approach. We're just trying to make sure that uh, at the end of the day, Robin, you put it, you know, you couldn't have put it better. It's really about a, a one-upping ourselves every year. And when we do that, we we grow the brand, we grow the sport, we grow the, the festival. And at the end of the day, um, more people come and and it just, it becomes, it's already the largest annual sporting event in our in our, in our country. So we just want to take it to the next level. 
Now, Dwayne, I don't know how you won up last year because we talked to people from across the country who came to Edmonton for the Grey Cup last November and raved about it. But the one thing that really stood out for a lot of people was the fact that this used to be just the Grand National drunk, and now you can take a family to some of these Grey Cup events. And that, that was a huge step in a different direction that I just think was fantastic. So how do you work with the Calgary committee and make sure that a lot of the positive stuff that came out of Edmonton last year is continued on? Well, yeah, they are continuing on. So one of the things that's happened in the last many, many years is it is the development of the family and the family festival. So um, Calgary is putting on this uh, the family festival, the family tent. Like we had the Brick Family Zone last year in Edmonton. They're doing a similar version, but different in, in Calgary this year. They're, um, it really became a focus. And you're right. It's not hard to buy a beer at Grey Cup. You know, you, you can, you can, you can always find a beer. And so we wanted to make sure, and it's been, and we're doing this every day. How do we make sure that we're, uh, attracting families, doing things for families, giving them different things to do than, than, uh, than, you know, just go to the, and find drink beer all day, if you will. So there is lots to do. I can tell you that that one of the um, uh, things that's new in Calgary, and this is something that we try to to uh, to help the local hosts do, is create something that's unique to their market. And so Calgary's taken it to the next level. You know, their their whole their whole theme here is experience the energy, and obviously it's it's all around um, the you know the city of Calgary and what's so important to them around energy, both from the oil and gas sector and just everything that they do is is focused around it. But you know they have a strong um, uh, reputation as being you know Stampede and the rodeo, so they are putting on the first ever Grey Cup rodeo on Saturday of Grey Cup and. And that is very cool, and it's going to be something new. And I can guarantee you there's fans from across the country that go to Grey Cups every year that have never been to a rodeo, and it might be the first time and maybe the last. Dwayne, I don't know how many Grey Cups this is for you. I can go back, I think, till at least 2010. I don't know if you go back further than that. But did you ever foresee this becoming a, a full-time gig when you first jumped into this? No, you know, you volunteer. I, I've been involved in Edmonton Great Cups, Robin. I did uh, 97. Um, I was involved on the executive team there with, when Rick Lawlisher was with uh, EEDC. Okay. And then also um, the 2002 Great Cup as well. I was on the executive committee from a volunteer perspective. And then you're right, I, I, I oversaw the 10 and 18 Great Cups from more of the um, paid position. But in 97, you, I did it for fun. It was like, I want to volunteer for fun. And now the things that I used to volunteer for fun, I'm doing uh, as a full-time uh, full-time job. So, yeah, I, I, I consider myself very lucky to, to be uh, doing something that I just love to do. It's funny. I was looking at the list of events coming up in Calgary this week, and the only thing that I, I kind of went, really, that's going to be interesting to see how that shakes down. Are they holding all of, like, the hospitality suites in one location rather than hotels all across downtown? Yeah, so I'm glad you bring that up, uh, Robin. It is a first. So it's always a goal. And if you would have looked at Edmonton last year, we tried to make sure that the entire festival was in sort of a four-block radius. You know, there was the Shaw Conference Center was full of, of, of events and then all the, the street festivals right outside and and then hotels in the very near vicinity like the Westin and the, and the McDonald were, were some of the team rooms were and then about half the team rooms were in the Shaw. It was by design you know you if you have to get in a car to get to somewhere it just doesn't make it as as easy to to take part in so Calgary took it to a next to the next level they have every single team room at Stampede Park as a part of the festival. So you'll be able to just, if you wanted to, you could party hop and go to every single room uh, and just go from one to another. And, and it is a first. I don't think it's ever happened before, and we're really looking forward to seeing how the fans react to it. Do you worry about the the fun part of downtown? Because I, I remember before I got into this career, just kind of staggering from one party place in one hotel to another party place in another hotel. And the walk was just as eventful as the actual party place. Yeah, this walk might take you about 32 seconds from one door to the other. And, and so, so that part might be less eventful, but you'll be spending more time in the actual room, which I think at the end of the day, um, what I love about Grey Cup, one of the things that I just love about it is 
it's very unique, and you guys have both been to them before, yep. that you can be walking down the street or anywhere, and you can see fans from all teams across the league. And and you sometimes run into them in the street, and they're interacting with each other. But when these team rooms are all in the same uh, facility, I just think it's just going to be something really special to see and how they react and interact with each other. I've attended 12 of them, and I've, of course, attended the Spirit of Edmonton room on all 12 of those occasions on many numerous nights. And you keep running into the same people from all across Canada, like the, the Smitties of Toronto and the Hamilton guys with the Argo Sucks buttons and the, the guys from Vancouver, the, the guys who are the Blues Brothers or the Booze Brothers, I guess. So it's it really is a party where you get to meet people from all across Canada that one time every year in November. And it really is quite special. Yeah, it really is. And, and, um, you know, in spirit of Edmonton, they, they're typically the room that opens up on the Thursday. They're the only room that usually opens up on Thursday. There's a few more this year. I think kind is opening up on Thursday and maybe even the schooners, but that's where all the sort of the, 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 the fans that travel every year, they all would always meet at spirit of Edmonton to sort of, say hi, re- reunite themselves with each other. And then after that, then it just sort of, they split up and go their own way. But Thursday night's always a very good night in the spirit of Edmonton. I just have to tell you one great story of a, of a great cup in Vancouver and the, uh, the spirit of Edmonton room was hopping on a Wednesday. They decided to open it a night earlier and the Baltimore stallions were part of the league then. And these fans, these fans from Baltimore showed up because their team was in the game and they were kind of wandering around, and on the Thursday night, they were so blown away by the Spirit of Edmonton room, one of the guys said to Jack Rudd or somebody from the Spirit of Edmonton committee, how do we do something like this? And mm-hmm. I've never been so proud of Edmonton as I was on this particular evening because the mayor of Baltimore was there, and they said, well, what hotel are you guys in? And they said, we're at the Sheraton down the road. What they did was they said, well, let's book off the pub at that hotel on this particular Saturday afternoon, and we'll bring our whole show to you, and we'll get the other teams to come and visit us. And that's exactly what they did. So these guys went from having no hospitality suite at all to having an afternoon from noon until 6. And, uh, you know, the Jim Jeromes of the world showed up and emceed, and it was a whole spirit of Edmonton that had just moved to help Baltimore celebrate the fact that they're part of the Canadian Football League. And it was just a magical moment for me, and I just remember how they put it together in a day and a half, and it was just a special day, a special event. Oh, yeah, I, I, I love those stories. And, Bryn, you know, similar to, the, the you know, the Schooner's Room, you know, yes. they're still, you know, still to this day, you know, the Atlantic schooners are, are, are doing great things to, to, to try to secure a franchise and make sure that they uh, join eventually join the CFL, but they've been running their schooners room at Grey cups now for at least 10 years and maybe longer. And last year in Edmonton, their room was as big and, and as busy as Ryderville and, and uh, Stamps House and um, Spirit of Edmonton all, all together. So they've grown this party, and they're not even in the league yet. <laughs> I say it's and, time. Uh, to, yep, I say it's time to get them in the league and in the big game. What about you? <laughs> hell yeah! Well, you know, I, I, I can tell you that it's uh, uh, nobody. You know, everyone would be really happy when that finally materializes, and and um, they're just such. You know, it's, it's it's such a colorful part of Grey Cup as well, and. It's just exciting. So they're 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 a part of Grey Cup this year in Calgary as well. They're in. They'll be a part of those team rooms. So you have an opportunity to go in there and enjoy some good old Atlantic Canada hospitality. Your title says Chief Grey Cup and Events Officer. I'd like to just call you the party dude. Congratulations on the gig. Have fun this week in Calgary, and I know it's just going to be a blast because that city knows how to party. So thanks, Dwayne. Yeah, thank you very much, and uh, looking forward to seeing you guys. Well, there we go. Another one in the books. You know, last week we talked about Don Cherry and then our podcast was released uh, mid-afternoon. Within about 15 minutes, of course, we heard about Don Cherry's dismissal. The I, I just have this weird feeling. It would be very unlike the Edmonton Eskimos to make a coaching decision on garbage bag day. Also, the Canadian Football League tends to, as we pointed out earlier, 
they're like the NFL. They kind of like their messaging to be positive going into their big Grey Cup or Super Bowl week. So I don't think we're going to see anything on that front. But for the most part, uh, I guess we'll just have to wait and see what happens. Well, like we like we said, Brenna, I think we're going to hear something one way or another on, on the future of Jason Moss after the Grey Cup. You know, we know what it's, what's going to happen here. Uh, Brock Sunderland is going to have to take a look. What what does he want to do? Uh, and as we said earlier in the show, who's out there? Well, not, not yeah. who might be there. Is it an upgrade? Uh, you you can't. It's easy to say get rid of this guy or get rid of that guy. Uh, let's find out who's available and who might be interested in coming here. And that's not going to happen until the Grey Cup is done. All right, so the Grey Cup game, do you want to make a quick prediction here? We have Hamilton taking on Winnipeg. Both teams have not won in a very long time. I think the Hamilton Tiger Cats actually are going to roll a little bit. I think they're going to win it. But that defense of Winnipeg's is impressive, so it wouldn't surprise me if it went the other way, but I'm going with Hamilton. Well, sure, ask me what I think and then take Hamilton. Yeah, wait a Well, no, we can pick the same team. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I was, uh, you know, the thing for me, uh, we were talking, Evans has really surprised me at quarterback. Uh, I like him. He didn't light up the Eskimos, but he made big plays. He got a lot of help there. Uh, you know, Banks, that reception was just stupid good. Yeah. But, yeah, I mean, 15-3, and three, that speaks for itself. I like the Bombers as a story. They've had big Strevler out there and the Calaris factor now. There's a lot of good stories, and they're they're going to be the underdog. But I just think uh, the Tiger Cats are too good for anybody this year. Yeah, and it, it's hard to gauge against the Edmonton Eskimos, who were just so hot and cold all season long. But I don't know. We'll see. Should be fun. The Grey Cup game is always entertaining. It's in Calgary this year, as we pointed out earlier today. And uh, Keith Urban is the halftime show this time around. You a big country guy or no? Yeah, I don't know about big, but uh, there's good stuff out there in that genre for sure. And oh, he'll put on a hell of, of a show. He's one of them. Absolutely. He'll put on a great show. Okay, well, listen, thanks. This has been fun today. Really appreciate it. Big thank you to Dwayne Vigneault, who uh, obviously is going to have a big hand in the activities down mm-hmm. in Calgary this week, and also to Mark Spector from Sportsnet.ca for joining us from SeaTac Airport. <laughs> on his way to San Jose, where he's going to catch up with the Edmonton Oilers as they are off on a road trip this week. So uh, that's it for us, the Outsiders, today, and we'll see you again next week. The proceeding was recorded earlier because we were ashamed to do it now.